motherfucker be killing niggas just to do it. See? Nigga kill motherfuckers just because he can. Not because they snitching. Not because it's business. But because this shit just come natural Yo, to him. Bodie, man. I mean, Lil' Kevin is gone. This nigga don't feel nothing. And all them motherfuckers in them row houses, nobody mean a fucking thing Bodie, to him. I think you need to calm the fuck down. Fuck Marlo, man. Fuck him. And anybody that think it's all right to do people this way. Yo, Bodie, you better run, yo. Yo, this is my corner. I ain't running nowhere. Bodie, is you crazy? We have finally reached the end, Van. The, the final episode of my favorite season, season finale, called Final Grades, and fittingly so. I would give this season an A, but I don't know. I don't know what how I would give how it would rate individual characters in terms of what would be their final grade. I mean. It ain't a whole lot of A's, I'm going to say that. <laughs> right? You know, the, maybe the kids automatically get an A because they're kids. I think Naaman gets an A. Naaman definitely earned an A. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't give Mike an A. You I know, Mike, Mike, Mike ends the the the, the, se- the season as a murderer. I mean, I, I can't really... I give him an A. Can't can't really give him an A. Right. Um, I feel like I got to put Randy on a pass-fail or he get an incomplete because, like... Right. <laughs> Everything that happened to him was was kind of messed up. You know, should we give Donut an A? Because it, it does end with him being the final scene. And he's still doing what he do. Donut gets an A. Duquan gets a C. That's about right. It's like he showed promise. Now he's not. He's back on the corner. Presbalewski's seen it. So uh, it's certainly some uneven grades in this one. But, you know, nevertheless, this is it's such a packed episode as their season finales uh, tend to be where you have a lot going on, a lot being wrapped up. And then you have some foreshadowing and some look-aheads. And they they give you a window into basically how someone's life may turn out. And that window isn't always pretty. You know, you have Bubs who is, you know, in some kind of psych- uh, psychiatric care because yeah. of what he's gone through. And this was a really tough episode for him. Right. You know, probably his toughest, I, I would I would gather to say. So it is definitely... I I look much like I did at this one, this season finale, like I did season three, because there was this idea of hanging in the balance. Will The Wire return for a fifth season? I was thinking if this were the end of this series, it would actually be a really good season finale, much like season three would have been. But all that aside, Van, what are some of your takeaways from this final grades? It was just the breaking point for a lot of characters, specifically Bodie. Bodie just reached his breaking point, couldn't handle it anymore. But it wasn't just Bodie, you know. Bunny has reached his breaking point with trying to affect change in the schools coming at it the way that he has. He he's seen the same roadblocks that he saw. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if people got this connection, but what he was doing in the schools was basically Hamsterdam. It was the same thing, right? The same and, resistance too, right? And he sees something that is working, but it's just too unconventional for people to get behind it. People rather normal dysfunction than novel solution and he's sort of he's sort of seeing that like right now by the way by the way i just made that up that's a bar i, I was i was gonna say damn man <laughs> <laughs> you dropped one i love right. i love something that that bunny says when he's frustrated because you know he goes to city hall he's trying to make 
a pitch that they keep this program around. And of course, he has no idea that they're facing or he does know about the budget crisis they're facing. So it's like the wrong time to ask for this on a lot of levels. And he says something that was so true. He said, every time I open my mouth in this town, I'm telling somebody something they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's to your point about they'd rather live with the dysfunction than try a solution that might actually work. That might and, and and that they've never tried before. Right. Um, Weebay actually kind of reaches his breaking point. Um, you know, like he, it, it's a good break, uh, at least for naming, but Weebay comes to a point where he realizes that if he wants his son to have a, a full life and a different life for him, then he might have to do things differently. But of course, bubbles. I don't think we've seen the two most tragic breaks that we see in this episode is when bubbles has finally had enough of every, all the weight that's on him and when Bodhi also breaks. So. Yeah, very, very heavy episode. Listen, I prefer season three to season four. This is by far, though, not even close, the best season finale in the series. It's, it's, it's maybe the best episode in the series in a lot of ways for me. And it's about, and and it's, it's, it's the best season finale in the series for sure. Mm, That's a, that's a, that's a statement because I, I, I'd have to, I'm thinking about the only thing I could think that really competes with it is season threes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is in in many respects because of how the storylines end. And what I appreciate about Ed Burns and David Simon is they are not one for the happy ending. If anything, they for the sad ending. They for the fucked mm-hmm. up ending that you're just like, this is never going to change. Right. They kind of lead you with this. So basically in this recap, I mean, <laughs> essentially we're going to go over kind of what is the the end result in some uh, ways of, of all of these different characters because there's some finality to, finality to all of them, all the major ones that have been such a big sure. part of season four. I mean, let's start with the with the boys themselves. So Mike, Michael ends his season, ends season four as a straight-up murderer. So <laughs> this is what I wonder, too, is... So he, he murders, uh, he's he's learned under the tutelage of Chris and Snoop who have taught him the ins and out and how to ex- execute people. Uh, you know, he's now a, a uh, he is woven into Marlo's organization. Marlo has set him up with a place to to live. Um, and it was funny because, you know, when he, when Marlo comes to see him and he sees old face Andre's ring, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that ring, yeah. that's the most well-traveled ring in, in the history of television is that mm-hmm. one. But as we see, there's a there's a coldness, you know, to Mike. But I, I did wonder this. If you're in Baltimore, why would you ever stand on the street corner like after a certain time of night? I don't know. Like, I don't know why you would. Because it feels like everybody gets capped on the street corner. Why y'all standing on these damn street corners? I don't get it either. But that's the hangout spot. They, yeah, remember that's B- where they Bun- do business. I get it. Bunny, Bunny was talking about that. Bunny was like, street corner was a man's sanctuary. And that's how the, kind of the whole thing. It's like a tradition there. Yeah. What, it what else? It wasn't the street corner. It was the Circle K. The Circle K? In, ba- in Baton Rouge, everybody would hang out. There was nobody hanging out the end of a corner. It was like, it's just where cars turn. Nobody was hanging out there. But, I mean, maybe in South Baton Rouge, there was some people hanging out on the corner. But where people would hang out and congregate, and Lisa Gardier, I'm not going to speak for everywhere else, and Lisa Gardier was like the Circle K. Yeah, that is, uh, <laughs> that's country living right there, hanging out at the Circle mm-hmm. K, right? So Mike's a murderer. Daquan is, he's searching for a sense of place. He has been promoted. It was supposed to be a good thing, but for him, from an emotional well-being standpoint, it is not a good thing because he's not ready to 
to leave his environment. I mean, he was just kind of starting to pick things up, starting to get it, developed a very close relationship with Presbyluski, and now he's gone. And as Presbyluski finds out in this episode, is that he's hanging out on, he's not going to school, he's hanging out on the street corners, and definitely a situation uh, to watch. And all the things that Presbyluski feared that may happen to this kid, he sees that it's definitely going to happen. That as much as if he was in those his life for those few months, then that's not going to be enough to keep him off of the streets. So definitely, you know, kind of a, a sorry situation uh, for Pres Belusky, who really wanted to, to save this kid. Then you have Randy. Randy winds up in a group home, the place that Carver didn't want to take him. And Carver, in this episode, is able to see not just how the, the system of policing has failed Randy, but the system of, of care a foster care is that right. he can't get placed into a new home. They have no choice uh, but to send him to a group home because Carver tried to step in and try to maybe be a foster parent. And they let him know that will take a months uh, to right. process. And so he has no choice, but to leave him in his group home. And Can I ask a question about that. Mm. And maybe it was because he had the permission of the parents, but why was it so easy for Naaman to go live with Bunny? So was- I'm so glad you said that because I actually have that in a we love this show, but because uh-huh. I didn't get that either. Now, I don't know. I mean, is is it because Bunny's more connected? It might be because WeeBay and them said it was okay. It could be that. And I don't know if they did any official paperwork that right. said, hey, he can go with you or they just right. said like, we just going to keep it between us. And it just we just have come to an understanding. But yeah, it was an odd juxtaposition of Randy having to go through these levels. And, you know, because there was a part of me like, why Carver telling people? Just take him home. Like, <laughs> I'm about to say, just, I mean, yeah, just take him. Like, it kind of seems like just take him to live with you. Right. Yeah. Just like, don't say nothing. Like, all right, cool. You know, into that. Or, you know, so I don't know. Is it just because, uh, I guess, because Miss Anna, his foster parent, was already in the system. And so it was easier for them that's to keep tabs. That's probably tabs. it. Yeah, that's probably but yeah, it. Yeah, it just seemed like I, I don't even know why he's really necessarily going through these steps. But nevertheless, Randy is now back in the one place he didn't want to be. And as he alluded to in previous episodes, he's been in group homes before. He knows what this life is like. And he that was part of his panic and trying to do everything he could to stay with his foster parent because he did not want to go back into the streets. So that uh, unfortunately comes to a sad conclusion. And then you have Bodie, somebody else who has been a real staple on the wire. Bodie meets his end in the most, would you say his death was befitting of the Bodie that we saw? Uh, Bodie's death is so hard for me, man. Bodie's death is so hard for me, but it was the only way it could happen. Um, him dying you know. on his corners. Like it, it is, you know, certain people that you have in whatever profession you're in. And the, the phrase often used is they're going to die at their desk. Or in, in, right. in, in my profession in journalism, we always say they're going to die at the keyboard. Right? right. So Bodie was definitely the person who was going to die on the corner. And that's yeah. the way he wanted it to be, to be honest. Yeah. Should we just go ahead and get into our deep dive of Bodie like right now? Yeah. I mean, we could get into it. I just want to quickly just tell people. Uh, so Tommy Carcetti, he makes the decision not to kiss the ring in Annapolis. And now he's screwed because he's got to come right. up with a, a way to make up for $54 million shortfall. $54 so, million. Yeah, I know. That's a lot. The Under Armour guy ain't got that? <laughs> Why ain't he go to Kevin Plank? 
right? Yeah, the under the, the Under Armour dude, like the Under yeah. that he yeah, that's Baltimore, right? Yeah, that's the Baltimore. Under yep. Armour, the yeah. Under Armour dude, you ain't got that man. You ain't yeah. got that. You know what I'm saying, but come on. I'm telling you, just get into some private resources. Right. The major crimes unit is back in business. As has been established, Daniels is now colonel. He is under, uh, uh, he has become Carcetti's right hand in many respects, even though he isn't quite at the rank yet of a, of a Rawls or a Burrell. But Carcetti is leaning on him more and more and has given him carte blanche to completely reconfigure major crimes and do what it is he needs to do. He has promised that it's a new day something we heard mm-hmm. before. And so Daniels has decided to assemble his best and his brightest. We got Lester back. We got Kima back. And guess what? McNulty's back. <laughs> uh, yeah. So McNulty decides that he has had enough of beat cop life. He is now back in his original home, promising Beatty very tenderly. It's going to be different. It's going <laughs> to be different gonna, this time. It's going to be different this time. <laughs> so uh-huh. just like, oh, okay. Bunny has taken custody of Naaman, as we mentioned. Weebay has, uh, Weebay and Delonda, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that scene. Let's just say it wasn't a mutual agreement about what to do with Naaman. It was anything but mutual. It was as contentious as it gets. Nah, uh, uh, Cuddy is, uh, look at that. Old girl who was calling him a thug. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nice on it. Cuddy might have found himself a woman after, out of being shot. Maybe you could being tell, sh- too. Yeah. Because that's always, always happens. Like, I, under, uh, I underestimate the heart of this roughneck, rough dog. She even called him a roughneck. And the next thing you know, <laughs> boom, we together. See what I'm saying? Like, she was like, oh, he he about something? Okay, all right, let me get back on it. Hurt looks like the day has finally come for him. Uh, he mm-hmm. goes before a review board, and I think you can assume from the look on his face and the way that room looked, Herc is fired. <laughs> Herc is done. Herc is done. Thank God society is better off for it. So that's, Kind of pretty much what happens to most of the characters. Oh, and uh, Prop Joe introduces Marlo to, uh, or I should say Omar, rather. Let me backtrack. Omar has got his his nest egg now, having right. sold Prop Joe back his own drugs, which I think was was brilliant. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, and also very, because I'm thinking to myself, even when, what's the girl's name again that was with Omar? Kimmy? Kimmy, yes. Yeah, even when Kimmy drives away with her cut and she's got the heroin in the tire, I'm thinking to myself, yo, so she got to go, like, sell heroin now? Right. Like, or and, she and probably I'm, will wholesale sell it to somebody, I'm guessing. Maybe. Maybe. Right. But I'm thinking, huh, it'd be be nice if you could just steal it and then have some way to just make out with the cash. And that's basically what Omar's about to do. Yeah, he's making out with the cash. And, you know, as a result of, of this, uh, Prop Joe has now made the decision to introduce Marlo to, directly to the Greeks, directly to the plug. Yeah. And Marlo so, demanded it. He demanded it because he needed to know that this was not some kind of larger setup, doesn't trust anybody. And immediately he is starting to look in to see who the Greeks are. So the Greeks, who we have not seen since, I believe, season two, now they are sort of back into the picture. And by the way, they left things. Nothing ever was indicated that they stopped slaying. It wasn't. They They never caught them. They were, you know, basically vanished in the wind. And as you see, it is still business as usual. So that's kind of where everything stands. And uh, as Van alluded to, um, we are going to send our boy Bodie off with a proper eulogy, a proper, um, you know, treatment of what has been one of the best characters on The Wire. So let's talk about Bodie. Um, Van, what is it that you loved about this character? I love, man, I love the fact that I met this character 
when he was super duper young mm. and he was idealistic about what he was going to be and how the world worked, right? And he, very few people put their hopes and their faith in a set of rules and a set of standards and are as diligent about that as, or as dedicated to that as Bodhi is. Bodhi believes, man. Bodhi believes, and it and it kept him for alive for a long time. His belief kept him alive for a long time. What ended up happening is he ran out of belief. Mm. And it's always compelling for me when people, when that happens to people, when people just run out of belief. There are people that they're taught things and they said, these things are going to keep you safe. These are the things that are going to keep you rich. These are the things. That, and after a while, life just keeps reminding them, yo, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Um, when Bodhi's talking to McNulty, the conversation that ends up getting him killed, he's really talking about his allegiance to the old way of the old set of ethics that brought him up. He's an old head. At like 25, he's an old head. And being an old head at 25, being an old head at any time, right? You see guys, when you have guys, you guys like Charles Barkley right now, they're complaining about a league that they haven't played in in over 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because being an old head is difficult. You feel like things were better. The things, there's a way to play basketball. There's a way to sell drugs. And he talks about it. He says, um, I did everything right. I did all of this stuff. And uh, it didn't get me anything but where I'm at right now. And he finally realizes something in that last scene with him at McNulty, that D'Angelo was right. I've been out there since I was 13. I ain't never fucked up a count, never stole off a package, never did some shit that I wasn't told to do. I've been straight up. But what come back? Marlo, this nigga and his kind, man, it, they got to fall. They got to. Well, for that to happen, somebody's got to step up. I do what I got to. I don't give a fuck. You're a soldier, Bodie. I thought that was such a great full circle moment because, yeah, yeah it goes back to when D'Angelo was teaching Wallace and Bodie how to play chess. Yeah, and when the he infamous chess scene. The infamous chess scene. And when he explained to him, and by the way, this is, that's why that scene, you know, has to be a top five wire scene because of Right. of the connective tissue between season one and there and how in little and big ways that scene kind of kept coming up. And so, yeah, because he, Bodhi, remember him boldly proclaiming, oh, I'm just going to be a smart-ass pawn. Then. Unless they're some smart-ass pawns. Right. He, but but you know what? His Bodhi's, Bodhi's death is really about the death of hope because he was hopeful. He was ambitious. And he believed it was a situation to where uh, now... Uh, he realizes that no matter how smart and on top of you're a pawn, you're just out there as to, to be a, a bullet catcher for the queen or the king. And it's just so compelling to watch him. Even McNulty can see it on him because McNulty knows the truth too. McNulty can see it on him. Like, like even so many characters around him, even like Poot. Remember, Poot's been gone. Yeah. Poot, like Poot probably actually recharged his his dedication to the street while he was in jail, right? Pooh didn't have a chance to build up a relationship with Lil' Kevin. So the death probably doesn't mean as much to him. Well, and Pooh, I think, he always had a safe emotional distance from what he was doing. As you said, like, Bodhi wasn't just 
another soldier. Like he mm-hmm. believed in the idea of what he was doing. He believed in the idea of the Barksdales and the Stringers. And really what Bodie's, what Bodie represents is kind of our relationship to work in America. There are right. so many, like his dream was different and the way he wanted to achieve his dream was obviously illegal, but it's no different than how most people want to do it. Most people think if I just keep my head down, do what I'm told. Right. If I just operate in a certain way, there is a reward. And when people get angry and when they get frustrated and when they feel disconnected and overlooked is when they realize it was all built on a house of cards. It was uh, on all a house bullshit. It's all bullshit. And now what have you devoted your life to? Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is like basically like what, what it is that, that, that we're talking about is like, to me, the character who grounded the show, I'm going to be honest with you. I know people have a problem with The Wire Season 5. I do. One of the biggest problems I have with The Wire Season 5 is that there's no Bodie. And I'm not saying that Bodie is in every scene in this in this thing, but the show grows with this character. The show, he is such a good anchor in terms of what the street believes, what the street is, um, and what it means to be a soldier out there, right? He's really... In a lot of ways, he's the working man. Oh, yeah. That's why I said the connection to how yeah. we in this country feel about work. It's his character. Yeah, he's the working man. Like, like you, like you said, he is he's the working man. And he is the guy that just can't get over because it's just like McNulty says, fuck the bosses. Bodie's life is all dependent on who the bosses are. He had magnanimous. Uh, as magnanimous as they could be, gentlemanly bosses with the Barksdales. And, you know, even though he had to kill friends, it was all in the game. Now he's come to a point to where uh, he can't deal with the brutality. It's even worse than it was before. It's it's worse than bad. It's, how can I put this? Bodie is disgusted with Marla. It's not that even he doesn't respect Marlo. He's disgusted with Marlo. Because remember, and it's hard for people outside of this to, to get it, and I'm not saying that I'm inside of anything, Bodhi really thinks that killing is a means to an end. It's part of the game. And when he sees someone who just kills people to kill people, or somebody that's playing a different game, he all of a sudden decides he doesn't want to play, but he's too deep in the cash and his chips. It's just very sad. Very sad. Every time I see it, I get very moved emotionally. Yeah, because, I mean, he he believed that there was a, a certain system you had to follow, even within something that is, is as volatile and as dangerous as selling drugs. It's like, there's a system. And he right. believed in the system. And he followed the system. And then he started working for a new boss that did not believe in the same system and same code and same set of rules. And his loyalty, because that that's the thing that made Bodie a great so- soldier, is that he was loyal. And right. loyal to the system and loyal to those who had a code and how they operated. Like, yes, in his mind, snitching should get you killed. However, right. if you don't have any proof that somebody actually did it and he felt like Marlo just wanted to senselessly kill people for his own reputation and not because it actually improved business and not because it eliminated threats. It didn't make the business thrive. It just seemed to do it just based off of fear and terror and not because it was related to actually enhancing the business. So when 
he goes off on Poot after they discover little Kevin's body. And he sees little Kevin being wheeled out of, of one of the abandoned houses. He loses it because he he felt he was close to little Kevin, of course. Right. But I think it's possible he might have reacted that way, even if he wasn't that close. He was never in on Team Marlo, ever. Marlo. No, never. He wasn't. He, was a, he wasn't a Marlo guy. He's a Barnesdale no. guy. But he was willing to abide. By, he was willing to stand on that corner and slam for Marlo as, as long as Marlo was abiding by the rules. Right. But what he's seeing is that Marlo has his own set of rules, and those rules come with a specific fuck you to, to everyone around him and everyone that's that's under his thumb. And Bodie simply cannot deal with that. And even the fact with that when Bodie died, he chose not to run. This is my last stand. Like, this is, this is me. Like, this is me. This is, this is my last stand. This is my corner. I will not, like, he, he tells me, no, he says, don't ask me to live on my knees. Yeah, and I think I think that scene. I'll be honest. I think the scene he has with McNulty when they're on the park bench is better than his his death scene. Okay, like, but but because there is, for one, you see the commonality and the shared sort of um, experience that they have. Because right. McNulty is Bodie. <laughs> He's just a cop. Right. He has yeah. the same set of principles. He can deal with shit. He could be loyal to a system, but you got to follow certain rules. And he loses it when the rules aren't followed. When motherfuckers start coloring outside the lines. That's when McNulty gets pissed. And he, the system has done the same thing that, to McNulty that it did to Bodie. That's why he yeah. respected him. They saw that in each other. Like, we in this right. fucked up system. McNulty has given everything, all of himself, all of his life for this system that continually shits on him at the most inopportune moments. Yeah. So he could relate to Bodie in a lot of ways. And he can he can relate to him, and and just like us, he had watched him grow up. He mm-hmm. had watched Bodie be uh, strong enough, hard enough, disciplined enough, smart enough to avoid falling with the Barstow organization. He had seen Bodie sort of uh, take on some some new responsibilities. He remembers going over there. When Bodie was just basically one of the kids in the school, like a, a like a Michael or a Randy or a Naaman, a little bit older than that. He was around 15 or 16. But when he was a kid, like a real kid. And so there's a degree of respect, just survivor's respect from McNulty to Bodie. But uh, yeah, man, Bodie's my favorite character, man. Bodie is uh Bodie's the character that uh, to me, that is just always sort of the rock and like I said, the anchor of the show. He's just he's the he's the kid. Like, even when he's talking to Cuddy back in the day, and Cuddy's like, "Is your brother still out here?" And Bodie goes, "Man, James been dead." The reality is that some part of Bodie knows that that's his future too. You know, in the short term, that it, it, like that it, it's somebody's gonna be asking, "Well, you know, what happened to Bodie?" Or like what happens in this episode where Carver tells um, McNulty, you know, Bodie got dropped. Yeah. And that 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 scene was coming. It's just but it was just hard just more than anything, man. It was just hard to see my dog go out like that. Well, and then the way he went out, you know, two to the head. You know, he he went out rather violently. Here's a question. Do you think killing Bodie was Marlo justified in killing Bodie? Yes. Mm-hmm. In the end at the end, you know what I mean? Yeah, but he they Marlo got lucky. 
Like Marlo, it, it just happened to be that it's just another way that the, the show is so good. It happened to be that Chris and Snoop got popped for the gun. Uh, Marlo sent Monk down to 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 talk to the bondsman. When the bondsman was down there to spring Chris and Snoop, he saw Bodie get into the car. He had to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. once he saw him get into the car, and the fact is, Bodie was actually trying to snitch. And so here's, I wonder if this was a purpose, purposeful full circle moment because this is the same thing that happened to Wallace. It's the same yeah. situation. Right. This is the one that did it. I mean, this is this is the exact simile. It wasn't little Kevin. It was actually Bodie. And I thought that was brilliant to make their situations the same. Like Wallace was upset because he his information led to a murder. Right. And that's what set him off. And that's what he couldn't live with. And mm -hmm. he told the cops, you know, he was ready to talk. But he wasn't going to snitch on everybody. He wanted to specifically snitch on Stringer Bell. Right. That was his target. Right. Same thing with Bodie. Is that Bodie, he said it. He's like, I'm not snitching on none of my boys. I'm not snitching on nobody who was on my corner. This is all about Marlo. Because he felt like what he did to little Kevin was wrong. So it's the same thing. He wound up dying for the same reason. And also, in the end, Bodie's death, he pro Bodie proved himself right. You know, this is the first time he broke those rules. And he paid for it. Right. You know, but he thought he had to break those rules. But if he thought that it was those rules that were keeping him alive, he probably was right. You know, but he had just seen them not work for too many other people. So he didn't believe in them any longer. So just 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 track, just track. That's that's my that's my G. That's my dog right there. Bro, but, the, but the crazy part is, I mean, you talk, as you said, this 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 show does a really good job of taking what is sometimes happenstance and building uh -huh. it into a larger situation. This doesn't happen if McNulty isn't the one who bails him out or gets him out right. by calling in a favor, right? right like, Bodie right. just would have been in jail. <laughs> like, right. he had a pretty extensive rap sheet. Let's not forget Although, that. although, he did scream on a street in front of a bunch of people, fuck Marlo, over and over and over again. That is true. So maybe they would have got him anyway, because... Maybe Marlo would have heard about Marlo that. Marlo would have heard about I, it, Because yeah. even Pooh was like, yo, chill. Right. Because, um, by the way, their neighborhood is like the most talkingest ass neighborhood. I swear, they better than CNN in this neighborhood. Something happened, yeah. whole neighborhood. No, it's like, damn, y'all. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. Baton Rouge is like that to a degree. Yeah, I know. Like, it, it is, it, it's amazing. I, I don't find that particularly unrealistic because Lord knows when yeah. I was growing up, you knew everything that happened within six blocks. You're like, oh, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, over there, over there. You knew, right? But I was like, damn. <laughs> Everybody Shit, really where I'm know from, today. you knew who was going to get got. Like, it was It was like, it's only just a matter of time, like, because what's-his-face is looking for him and blah, 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 blah. Then you'll be coming home from school and you'll see somebody getting straight rolled. Yeah. Because it finally came to a head. So, it, you know. But yeah, man. Yeah, man. This one was, this one, this one always is, this one always is tough for me. I, it's not, it's not the most tragic death in The Wire, but it's the most affecting death for me. It's not even close. Well, I would put it in the category of this, is that it was, I, I respected who Bodie was because he was very consistent, always true, lived by a certain code, whether you agreed or not. However, I can't call his death a tragedy. And the only reason is because of what he did to Wallace. That's why I can't really call it a tragedy for me. I don't, I don't feel bad that Bodie got killed. I think it's just very, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, uh, 
a very symbolic of of what is happening in Baltimore for that matter. I'm not mean. Look, it was mean to kill Wallace. All right. (laughs) It's not like it was his idea. Okay, he but was, he it, was ordered to do it. He by couldn't stand sh- Wallace Van. Like he loved that the fact that he had to kill I, Wallace. I'm not. I don't think he loved it at all. His hand well, was shaking. Was do you remember the scene? Yes. Like it, his hand was his. No, but it was there wasn't. It was Poot that finished him. It was Poot that finished first. him. Yes. Like it, it, it. His hand was shaking. His hand was shaking. Like his hand was shaking the whole time. He didn't want to do it. Stringer told him to do it. He didn't have any oh. choice. Stringer told him to kill Wallace, man. So that was where he first went wrong because the community college <laughs> uh, grad told him. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. he idolized, you know, Mr. Uh, Statistics 101. All right. All good. <laughs> I understand. Um, no, but it, it just to me was just, I wouldn't say that I felt good about Bodie dying. I would say that. But the level of sorrow... I don't have necessarily a level of sorrow. It's just like, man, that is, he is kind of somebody who in many ways predicted his own demise. And by the way, your, your story, your, your whole uh, theory still rings true because what happened? Him and McNulty got some food. They got some food. They sit down there. They sat down and they ate. Him and McNulty always eat like sandwiches or something together. (laughs) It's always like a piece of sandwich or something like that that they eat. Where were they eating? It was a sandwich, right? It was definitely a sandwich. I couldn't exactly tell where it was from. It was hard to see. But that was, you know, sort of his last humane moment, him eating that sandwich. And then fast forward like 10 minutes later, he was dead. So it was just like, once again, stop eating on the wire. (laughs) Stop eating on the wire. It it all come raining down if you don't. But, you know, but because this, I will say this. I do wonder if... With season four, if at this point, if they knew for sure it was going to be a season five, would they have kept Bodie alive? I wonder that. And I don't think they would have. Season four, to me, ends as if they know that there's going to be a season five. Season four, it seems like, is that, you would know better than I, it seems because they, season four starts with essentially a new investigation and and McNulty McNulty coming back to major crimes. So it seems as if season four, they assumed that there would be a season five. Yeah, I mean, I I think at this point, You know, I'll just say in general that, like, I don't think that really Davis Simon or Ed Burns, they weren't, there were certain characters they were wedded to for sure, but I don't think it was, I think they were okay with killing people. Clearly, because they just felt like things, uh, there had to be logical conclusions to things. Bodie dying on the street corner is a logical conclusion, especially given how upset he was about what happened to little Kevin. So it kind of, you know, makes a whole lot of sense that it ends up this way. But there was a part of me that wondered, like, huh, because I was trying to remember when this episode actually aired and if they knew by then it would be a season five. Because I'm not sure if they knew it was going to be a season five while season four was going. I have to look that up to see. Because if that was not the case, I was like, huh, I wonder if there was any thought to keeping him around. But uh, according to All the Pieces Matter, J.D. Williams, who plays Bodie, he very much suspected, just based off the way the script was going, that Bodie was going to die in season four. So this did not surprise him at all. And he discusses how him and David Simon had a conversation because sometimes, as David Simon puts it, when actors find out that they're going to die, that it can create some problems on set because they're going to be lobbying for the character to stay alive or 
you know, they may not put their all into it because they're just like, I know I'm going to die. So they, because they're so pissed off about it. Right. Because case in point, Kima was actually supposed to die. That's how right. it was originally written. And she lobbied for her character to stay alive, which was a great decision. And especially, you know, obviously seeing how she brought, uh, progressed over over the course of, of, of several seasons. But in some ways, they they like to prevent that. So they even keep it hidden from the actors themselves that, hey, this is, you know, this is, you might come into work and like, oh, shit, I'm dead. You know, that's kind right, of the way yeah. it is. Yeah, so. But R.I.P. Bowie, to our, as they say, R.I.P. to a real one, because he was to a, a real one. To a real one. R.I.P. to a real one. Man, who would have ever thought that of that original group band that was there in the low rises, Poop. that Poop would be the one standing. <laughs> I would have never had money on Poop, ever. Poop. It would not have been him. But in a way, it kind of makes sense, I guess, right? D gone, Wallace gone. Right? Like uh, Bodie gone. Yeah, I mean, D'Angelo, you know, with him having the position that he held, and kind of, you know, he... And with him being somebody who had kind of gotten the organization in trouble, which is how the wire starts, then you can kind of see the clock ticking on him in some respects. You know, Wallace just didn't have the heart for it. But Poop, like, never seemed to quite take it super serious. He did what he was told. He was he was the ultimate work, worker bee. Yeah. But I, I would have guessed, yeah, that, that Bodie would have been the one that was alive because he was the one that seemed to be the most committed to what he was doing. I remember Poot had a near miss. He did fate. have a if he had played dead. Just fate. It's just fate. Yeah. Just fate. I tell you what, Poop, Poop may catch uh, uh, every STD in the world, but what he won't catch is a bullet. Is a bullet. There you go. Poop has proven that. <laughs> right. He like, give me all the STDs, but not all the bullets. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, that's going to do it for us as we wrap up, or not do it for us, but do it for our wrap up of Bodhi, uh, one of our favorite characters. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to go over some of the best scenes in this very robust season finale of season four. We'll be back in a moment. It's almost hard. It's all, Well, I wouldn't say hard, it's but impossible. it's almost unfair that we call this best scenes or best moment yeah. because Every scene practically was. There were so many moments because you have so many conclusions. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, let's just run through some of them. Uh, Van, what were some of the more memorable scenes and moments from this season finale that you recall? All right. Of course, Bubbles and Landsman. What kind of a fella rigs up a hot shot then walks into a police station to talk about it? Huh? What's that? A hot shot was for this motherfucker to be eating on me. And the boy? Child had no one for him. No mother, no family. He in the street like I'm in the street. So I tried to, um, like I ain't who I am, right? Like I'm pretending I ain't been a dope fiend my whole damn life. Just lock me up, man. That yeah. entire thing. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's this is amazing. how this, this, this uh, episode starts. Starts. <laughs> yeah. Starts. And by the way, we, we talked about the fact that Landsman never really has a human moment. That's as human as it gets for Landsman right there. Mm-hmm. Landsman, his most see, human moment, perhaps. His most human moment, he realizes mm-hmm. that Bubs did not intentionally kill Sherrod. He kicks him back, throws him back without, when he had a clear, all he cares about is stats. Doesn't care about people. He had a clear, clear down murder. Threw it back because it wasn't right. So, that's that's Landsman right there. That yeah. is, 
And that's Mr. Uh, stats guy too, Mr. That's like, Mr. You know, stats guy. Like opportunity. I mean, granted, they got a whole lot of red on this board now because of Lester continuing right. to discover bodies. But yeah, like you said, this is so unlandsman unlandsman like because this is an easy win for him. Right. And he's um, he sees the pain that Bubbles is in. Absolutely. Bodie at the crime scene when he sees so all of these. So the Bodie's whole thing, Bodie at the crime scene. Right. Uh, when he sees uh little Kevin and he freaks out. Bodie with McNulty. And of course, Bodie's death. But then you have Wee Bay talking to Bunny. Your boy is smart and funny. He could go a lot of places and do a lot of things in his life. Be out there in the world in a way that, you know, didn't happen for you and me. I mean, you send naming out on them corners now, giving them maybe one, two years before you down the morgue. Maybe, maybe not. That's the game. I'm talking about naming him, Mr. Bryce. You asking too much. Yeah. But I'm asking. Yes, that was a great scene. A fucking fantastic scene. Uh, a fucking fantastic scene. We Bay and Bunny. Even the little co-op scene where Prop Joe was talking to the co-op and they don't believe that Prop Joe got the shit stolen. Any other episode, that would be a fucking great scene way up there, but this one is just another placeholder. Cuddy's little romance with the nurse. Love that. Uh, how that, how she doesn't even realize that she has him wrong. The scene where Marlo visits Michael at the end is just, to me, it's just a cool little button. You know what I mean? It's the, they're getting all together and you see them kind of tooling up and getting ready for things. But like, I got so many written down. I don't want to, I don't want to step on you. So what, what were some no, of yours? No, 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 not at all. Cause I mean, I'm sure we have some of the same. So uh, going back to the, to Landsman and the bubble scene, part of the reason I think that scene was so great is cause it was, uh, it was actually really graphic. Cause you have bubs vomiting in the interrogation room. You, you getting sick there, Bunky? When's the last time you had your medicine? No. No, I'm not getting high anymore. Okay? Let me ask you again. Where'd you get cyanide from? If you're saying... Oh, fuck! I'm sorry. Shit, he got like a fucking sleeve. Calm down. We'll get something to clean this up and uh, maybe a soda or something. Get some sugar in you at least. Which Landsman didn't seem to care about that much, by the way. Not not that much. You're right. And then you you have him hanging himself or trying to hang himself. But because I'm a child, I noticed something in between when Landsman is in the bathroom after Bubs has thrown up on him. Did you notice what was written on the wall? And this yes, is only funny, right? This is only funny because one of the few the things they never touch up again is Rawls being gay. Right. Okay. And right there on the bathroom wall, wall it says Rawls sucks dick. And it's like, well, actually. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. This could the, be the possible. Whole, the Rawls sucks cock thing is like, it's it's like you wonder now if it is written there because. Right. That's what I wondered. And because <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about it before, I was like, wait, I mean, you know, you expect to see these kind of things on, on a bathroom wall, right? Uh -huh. But is it written there? Because somebody knows the truth. Right. You I know, don't know. Hard not to wonder. Yeah, definitely hard not to wonder. So you mentioned Weebay and, and Bunny scene. That was great. Weebay's and Delonda scene. Fantastic. Fantastic. Where he very... Weebay is the only person who can silence and check this woman. Period. Right. And that mm -hmm. was what definitely came across. And, you know, it was such a great line that Weebay had when she's talking about, 
you know, her aspirational, well, I mean, who whose aspirational goal is for their son to wind up a murderer? Okay. Right. <laughs> like, right? But I thought Weebay, he said something that was so smart and poignant, and he says, Who the fuck would want to be that if they could be anything else, Delonda? Right. Like, yeah. Basically, if he could, like, if he could be anything else, like, why would he want to be this? Yes. And he's looking around, and to be honest with you, Weebay's okay with what Weebay's okay with what his life has turned out to be. He's okay with it, but he's not okay with it for naming. No. And, but and, I, and Bunny I think, and Bunny convinces him. I was about that. to say, I think I don't know if he thought that before really right. having a heart to heart with Bunny, because I think he was okay with Naaman being a certain way. Well, because he thought Naaman, he thought differently of Naaman. And he thought Naaman was basically fruit off of his she gonna go do what he did. And, and then Colvin says, Listen, I'm telling you, he could be more. Like he could be more. Go places that not just you haven't gone, but places that I haven't gone. So let's let's go ahead and do that. So that's uh and and and, and Weebay, because he is to some degree emotionally intelligent, said, Yeah, well, if my son doesn't have to be a killer, why would he be a killer? Right. Yeah. That was a that was a great scene between the two of them. Also would uh, add to that uh, when Daquan gave Prez that pin as a present. Hey, Daquan. Don't you need to be a Douglas? I'm on my way there. Yeah. Where's your book bag? Oh, it's, um, I'm going to stop past the house and get it. It's a present. For you did. That's great, Daquan. Thanks. Stop past any time. Let me know how it's going with you. That was just heartbreaking because, right. you know, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of money, so who knows how he got it. But uh, the fact that, you know, Daquan clearly misses his old environment. He misses his old teacher. And just based off the gesture and the eye contact that the two are making, like, you could tell. On some level, both, Prez knows. He, he knows that they know that after this, you know, even though he says, hey, you can come by anytime, Prez knows he's not going to see this kid again. He knows it, right? Yeah, he's wrong, but... He is he is wrong, but like... Yeah. But he's... Well, I'll put it like this. He's not going to see him... That in kid the, again. He's not going to see that kid again. Right. But he knows he will see him and probably not in a way that he would like. Uh, right. I would also uh, add to that when Carver takes Randy to the group home. Ridiculous. Hard. That was hard. Yeah. When Randy's like... It's okay. What? You try. You don't need to feel bad. It was a lot of uh, a lot of emotion um, in that, and, and you know that was the thing about this whole episode in general. It's like it's just some really draining scenes where you're just like, oh my god, like can this get any worse? I have a question for you based upon Carve punching his his uh, his steering wheel, his steering wheel like that. Yeah. Do you remember Lethal Weapon Three? Yes. Okay, so in Lethal Weapon Three, Danny Glover. His character accidentally shoots oh, shoot his the son's kid, right? friend. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I did. Okay, so he accidentally shoots his son's friend. I want people to do this out there. I want you to compare these two scenes. Scenes of people beating up steering wheels. Okay, he accidentally shoots his son's friend, Lethal Weapon Three, and then he drives home, and he wants to get out and go inside. But he can't get out and go inside because of the shame and the guilt that he feels. For actually, I mean, he doesn't actually, hold on for a second. Let me say that. He doesn't accidentally shoot his son's friend. He shoots a guy that was shooting at them. Right. He just happened, happened to, be to be a friend of his, his son's son. friend. It wasn't an accident. Right. 
like like uh like uh, like uh you know everybody's favorite human being Mel Gibson says you know it was a good shoot he was going to do you he was going to do me but I say all that to say I want people to go back and watch the two scenes of the guys beating up their steering wheels and tell me which one because Danny Glover beats his steering wheel up in that scene when he's in his car in a fucking violent way. Carver is more crisp with his steering wheel punches. Right. And you get more of the honking. But if you go back and watch the way Danny Glover beats up his steering wheel before he gets, it's the, it's the two defining steering wheel assault scenes of movie TV history. I want people to compare them and tell me which one is better. You know, it's funny because I thought originally what you were going to bring up, because this is a scene I thought of from another movie, is when Trey was punching the air in Boys in the Hood. That's ridiculous. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, I was like, why they always got that's, like that's, me that's punching a, randomly that's, because that's they're so a, upset? <laughs> that's fucking, that's stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did get sex out of it, though. He did. He did. From Neil Long. So it worked. Yes, from Neil Long. So I'm saying there was, there was an upside, is, is, is what I mean. Oh, and of course, um, another uh, kind of gut-wrenching scene as we were talking is Waylon, who reemerges. Waylon being the drug counselor that Bubs has had previous interaction with. And Kima picks him up and they go to visit Bubs, or at least Waylon goes in. Kima does not. And when Waylon, when Bubs breaks down, when he sees Waylon, that's just like, what else mm-hmm. can Bub take? Uh, yeah. Any thoughts? On why do you think Kima never went in to see Bubs? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I wondered if on some level she felt responsible for what maybe, happened. Maybe responsible for it, a little too broken up about it. Uh, you know, kind of a friend, didn't want to remember. Um, when Kima was in the hospital, did Bubbles go see her or wasn't it hard for him to go see her or was that McNulty? That was McNulty. That I was think it was McNulty. But right. yeah, because Bub said that he, I think when Kima finally got out, he just kept telling her, yeah, I, I asked about you all the time, you know? Right, right. right. So they, there's a there's a deeper relationship there. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and, But I thought because Kima knew or because Bubs had come to Kima when he originally had his bully problem, she was the first person he went to. Right. And she wasn't really able to do much then part about, maybe she she felt yeah, but she yeah. felt like you know she wishes uh that you know she that she had been able to take a, a stronger lead in kind of helping him out so those are some of the best scenes that we love like literally every scene in this is like is great just because it's a season finale they're wrapping some things up and so yeah. it, it's pretty tremendous uh now on to what age the best fam what did you have uh teaching this age best um ooh michael asking his little girl for consent. <laughs> Go back and watch that scene. You Michael, did. You're right. You're like right. Michael, Michael says, Are you sure you want to do this? I don't want to hurt you. Like Michael asks consideration. For consent. Consideration. Keeping himself out of trouble too. Michael, I was, I was like, oh, look at that. Michael Lee is way above way ahead the, of his time. Way ahead of the time <laughs> on actually active consent. That aged really well in that situation. And shout out to Dookie. Who then had to listen to Michael fuck in a <laughs> in, at, at, on the bottom bunk with Bug on top? Duke Duke had a rough episode too, man. Like yeah, he Duke, did. Like Duke had a rough episode, but yeah, I think that for me, the one thing that aged the best was that. <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh, what ages the best is uh, politicians not giving a fuck about the educational system uh, because one of the lines 
it's it's a true line. It's a piercing line, but it's aggravating as hell because it is such a reflection of real life is when uh, Carcetti's guy, um, I can't remember his name, the white dude that's on his staff, when they were discussing what to do about this budget shortfall and he says, kids don't vote. And I was like, fuck you, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I was thinking about. But unfortunately, what he says is pretty much how a lot of politicians act, right? Yeah. Kids don't yeah. vote. So, so there's no need to, to, to talk to no them. No need or do to talk to them. them or to care about what happens to them because that's a problem that is longstanding and persistent, but people don't, they can't see it every day. It's not right. in the news every day. It's not in front of people's faces. So people have a tendency to not really give a shit about that. I mean, you could, of course, list all of the systemic problems and say, oh, yeah, all of these systemic problems aged incredibly well, but... That was the one that struck me the most because it was such a such a truth bomb, an unfortunate truth bomb, but it, it it was the truth. So that's what I had. Anything that you had for what age the worst? Well, the rap music that was playing while Michael was having sex with the young girl. I was rap trying music to figure out sex. what that was. I don't know. Just rap music while having sex aged terribly. Like you, know, you think so? Know. I don't know. Rap. Man. Rap. Like y'all, yeah, like oh, okay. Well, we're getting to we're getting to look into <laughs> Jamel's life. Jamel comes home after a long day and puts on that goddamn Ti, and then they, no and then they right? Okay, no Ti. Okay. okay, I don't know. I don't know if, if if it's well. You know what? I would I would I would throw out there, um, okay. and our viewers, you know, definitely feel free to respond. Do you think music during sex period has aged out? Um, well, for me, it was never a big thing. What? Never. Man! Never a big thing. How is this possible? It never, never a big thing. That used to be huge when I was in college. I mean, no, I'm sure, I'm sure it was huge for, for, I mean, I remember one time, I think a girl, one time a girl that I was dating actually brought it up. She was like, you know, she said, I can never tell like when you want to have sex because she's like, most guys, you come on there and it's like, you know, R. Kelly or something like that. And you know that they want to have sex. Like you will be in here watching Dragon Ball Z and then all of a sudden <laughs> you just turn over and, I, and I'm like, you, you know what I mean? And so, so she, she actually, that's what her exact word. She's like, I never know when you're going to, you like, you don't set a mood. And I was like, hey, you know, we out here. But uh, but yeah. So for me, it was never a thing. But I get it. I guess you know. <laughs> I think it is a it is an age thing because I think you get to a certain age and it's like you know not as prevalent. But I remember, um, in high school and college, especially in college, like that was the bat signal, and right. every like you never had like a get the draws tape as they call it. No, van. You just I, haven't I, lived, man. I have not. I've never had. A you get have the not lived. Tape. Everybody had, out I, there has either had, everybody out there has had a get to draws tape. Like it's just, right. some of the music on those tapes probably did not age very well, but right. the whole process of doing so, definitely. Yeah. I had a tape. I had, a, I didn't, I had other tapes though. I had what I call Vans Relax Raps 2002. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> That's and, so and, specific. Yeah. It was, it was 2002, maybe it was 2001. It was 2002. It said, I had, um, it was just raps that I liked, but it was like songs that were like sweet. It was off in the club, Marcus Houston. Remember that? Off in the club where we do things like throw our hands up, all kinds of drinks. Like it was that. It was with R. Kelly, and then it was Gigolo. And then oh it yeah, was, Gigolo. That was it was a bunch go. of. I had like a little CD. If I could, that CD went hard. But anyway, Smiles and Soft Star. Tell me. 
I had that. Y'all, y'all hate when y'all fucking front on Smiles and South Star. Yeah, I, I, I really, I'm gonna get, I, I get pissed off Orlando's own Smiles and South Star. I hate it when niggas front like that. Smiles and South Star wasn't a fucking jam. Love, name, mistakes. Tell me what you think. Van is, is willing going to die on the hill, which I think is okay, whatever. Uh, amazing. Anyway. I think this anyway, is amazing. So rap music, and then also just giving a fuck. <laughs> giving a fuck has aged pretty bad. We, it's still, to me, I've been giving a fuck my whole life, and all I got out of it was a fucking anxiety disorder. So, uh, like, and that's what happens to McNulty Heat, and that's what happens to, in this episode, almost everybody who gives a fuck gets played. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and I, I also, Besides money, besides money. Yeah, I mean, Bunny doesn't get played, but he gets let down and disappointed again. Again, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he, he started to care about these kids. He believed in the work. And he gets let down on twofold. One, the, there's no more pro- uh, funding for his program. And two, the academic he was working with, he feels like doesn't really care about the kids either. He's just talking about research and other academics. And he's like, what about these kids' lives, right? Mm-hmm. So that feels like kind of a, a major, you know, disappointment a, as far as uh, Bunny is concerned. All right, so those are some of the things that age the best and the worst. File this away for later moments. Uh, there's a ton of these in in here. Yeah, so it's just finale. So, you know, a whole bunch of them, man. Whole bunch yeah. Of them. Yeah. I mean, Marlo having now the direct plug to the Greeks. Marlo being introduced to the Greeks. Like, Mistake. that's huge. Omar deciding to sell back the drugs to Prop Joe. His involvement in all of this period. Mm-hmm. And if you caught it, when he was saying goodbye to Butchie, Butchie was like, this ain't over. Right. That's what he told him then. You stole too much. She said, this is not over, not by a long shot. Um, certainly Michael's entire journey like mm-hmm. that, that's a big yeah. file away um, for later. And especially when we get to season five, there is, I, I didn't I didn't realize this till watching how Bodie uh, died, that there's a lot of similarities between Bodie and Michael that I had not seen before mm-hmm. that I'm starting uh, to definitely see now. Naming being now with with Bunny and his wife is a is a big file this away for later moment for gigantic. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a gigantic one. Bubs being uh, at his breaking point. That's a file this away. Huge. You know, Bub, later Bubs from, and Waylon back together again. Yep, Bubs and Waylon back together again. McNulty telling Beatty things gonna be I different. Yep, <laughs> yeah. but is it, but they scratching his itch. That's a usual. Yeah, him just deciding to come back and scratch his itch, and you know, just like it. it, it Police work or this kind of police work is a addiction because McNulty has an addictive personality, right? Sure. Because he can't do things a little bit. He has to go super hard in it, whether it be drinking, right. even his sobriety. He went super hard into even police work. He has to go. He does not know how to give 70% or 80%. When he's in, uh, he's in. And that is always the element he can't control. I think he even said something to Daniels about that, is that how he has learned to stay out of his own way, which is so not the case. Herc being fired, that's a file that's away for later moment. Huge. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty big one. So th- literally all these storylines that you see, I mean, other than Bodie's death, I'm trying to think of all the storylines that like ended, ended right. in this particular episode. And uh, Bodie was one of the few. Everybody else, even Poop deciding to run and escape. That's a file us away for later it's moment. File us away for later moment. Yep. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's certainly some other surprises that Poop are coming. Poop ran off yeah. the corner. He ran like, off Poop, the corner. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, yeah. we see him after that when McNulty still when McNulty talks to him. But when McNulty talks to Poot, like Poot, that scene with Poot, like actually Poot is something happens to Poot. Poot has seen enough. Right. He has seen enough. And so his escape, if you will, is a really big file this away for a later moment. Um, and you know, to to some degree, I don't know, would you call Randy, would you call his one as well? Not really. I mean, yeah. Um, that storyline is pretty much ended. I mean, we're going to find out a little bit more about Randy and Randy's situation, but not anything substantial, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that one is pretty much ended. Uh, Daquan's is one that is just beginning in yeah. in a lot of respects. And, and certainly, uh, as we said with Michael, that is one that is uh, absolutely just beginning. So it is, you know, it, it's amazing how uh, in this particular finale that we get so many things that, you know, were wrapped up and yet, so many, you know, kind of new, you know, new beginnings. And even uh, now, I'll just say just in general with Cheese, with everything Cheese knows, that's a big file that's away for a later moment. Big one. Big <laughs> that's one. a huge one. Finally, in season five, we'll be able to discuss whether or not, because uh, I think that was when we were, we were going to wait to the end, whether or not he was, where he ranked in terms of most despicable characters in The Wire. Oh, Jesus has he has more fucking up to do that. He does. I mean, so by the time this is all said and done, it's kind of like, is he really one of? I mean, where he ranks on that list of the most despicable characters? I think he's. I think he's higher than most people think, especially with the way that season four winds up uh, ending up, so to speak. So yeah, so uh, that is a wrap up of all the most important things um, that happen here in season four, as far as. Uh, Trivia is concerned. Van, you had mentioned earlier, as we were talking about um, season four, about whether or not there was supposed to be a season five. So in that short amount of time, I was able to look it up just to make sure that I was right or wrong about it. Turns out I was incorrect. So when season four started, they knew it was going to be a season five. Okay. So they were able, so they didn't know that. And, you know, it was a different position for them to be in. And actually knowing that makes me even more disappointed in season five, to be right. honest. Because right. I could understand if some of the other seasons were a little disjointed because after season one, they had no idea if the show was coming back. Then they get season two, had no idea the season you know, was coming back. And then at three, they thought it was over for good, for sure. And it wasn't. But they gave us a brilliant season four. So it seemed yeah. like more time actually worked against them <laughs> and it was just like oh. no yeah so it, maybe they were better at going at, going off the cuff um i'm not really sure you know well, and, I mean, granted, or, or some or sometimes you just you know people have problems with season five it's a point it's you know, there's a, we're gonna get into season five in a little bit here but it's, it's a possibility that stuff that went on in the newspaper just wasn't as compelling uh to people as because this, were you, you were able to link the school back to the fiber and, and the and the real baseline experience there of West Baltimore. The and even even to a degree, City Hall was able to link back to the, the newspaper just felt like a different world. It felt like its own show. I don't want to jump too too far ahead for people, but a lot of people just it just didn't resonate with them. Sort of the ins and outs and the ethics, uh sort of back and forth of 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 being in a newsroom. And I've been in a newsroom before. You've been in a newsroom before. You, you see how, you know, things there. Uh, 
sort of worked themselves out, but uh, you, you, you just don't know. Yeah, no, you don't. And what was also interesting is that because in season four, because like as you alluded to, it felt like season four, they were already laying the groundwork for what was to come in season five. The other thing, too, that made things a little bit complicated is that they had already gone down the road of these row houses and the right. murders. And so they had to wrap that up in season five. And I that I understand. I just took issue with with how they did it. Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, another thing that people should know about season four, again, um, who, what I think is the best season, uh, The Wire, uh, as we know, did not get nominated. Um, you know, certainly not for best actor or supporting actor or any of that when it came to the Emmys. Uh, what was especially horrendous when you go back and look at the year uh, that the Emmys were um were on in in the, the year that season four was out. Boston Legal got nominated for mm. an Emmy, but not The Wire. Now I'm gonna just mm. Boston Legal. That's all I gotta say. I'm like, wow, that is a slap in the face, people. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Boston Legal. Boston Legal. Not as good as the show as Wire, but not a bad show. Not a bad show. It's just not The Wire, and it's just you know to think about the fact Boston Legal got some love, but. Not this show. Okay, so now we have arrived at the moment of truth. Vanna, it's a jam-packed episode. lot to consider. Who would you say won this episode? I'm going to say Bodie won. I know that it's hard to say that Bodie won an episode in which he dies. But to me, I, I think that the emotional weight, I think Bodie is finally free. I think Bodie was living a life that no longer made any sense to him and, and, and he and no longer he didn't he was a man without a country. So in a lot of ways, this was the only thing that could have happened to him that would have been almost any justice. Uh, he died as soldiers do die. So when I look at this episode and I think about the things that happened in it that, you know, most stick with me, it's by far the death of Bodie. Yeah, I mean, it it is uh, unusual because I don't know if you've ever picked somebody who died and won the episode at the yeah. same time. Yeah, so that's uh, that's definitely an understandable choice when you think about what his character represented. And even though, you know, it was a good that he died, but it was a death that was befitting of the person, you know, who, who played this role. A death right. was befitting of this character, I should say. So right. it makes all the sense in the world. For me, the person who won this episode is Weebae. And because interesting, yeah, because Weebay becomes a parent. He becomes a parent by doing the one thing. Wow, Jamel, great pull. Yeah, it's like he does the one thing that really is required of any parent, and that is making a sacrifice. So sacrificing, you know, a personal sacrifice, of course, but like making a sacrifice that was truly in the greater good and truly for the best interest of his child. It mm. and. Up until this point, that did not seem to be the direction that Weebae was headed. He wanted a little mini-me. And this is, it was one of those situations where, you know, you could not have imagined Weebae making this choice at the beginning of the season. And for Bunny to be able to reach him and say, you know, look, man, this this game is different than when you was out here. Right. Like, they'll eat naming up. And he told him, he's like, be real, you know your son. You know he's not cut out for this. So, like... Why would you want him to ultimately, what did he, t he told him, he's going to be dead in, the, in a year. Right. Two years tops, yeah. he's going to yeah. be dead. And not you have gonna, to, Not going to last a long time out there, he said. Yeah, not going to last a long time. And so for that speech to be that effective 
and for WeBay to not only make that decision, but to get in line, to get Delanda in line at the same thing, which is same time, which is no easy task, you know, mm-hmm. and let her know also that you let him be and you let this man raise him so our son can actually turn out to be like something. So I thought WeBay mm-hmm. made the fatherly decision and deserves to win this episode. There you go. There you go. There you have it. So that is going to do it for us. What a season. Man, season what a season. What season a season four to wire. God yes. damn it, Jamel. <laughs> Hell of a season. Mm-hmm. And y'all know what's next. Our next episode, we will give out our season awards. And Van, because you got me thinking about it, I think we should do worst person of the season. I think we absolutely should do this. Worst person of the season. I got it. I'm with it. I already know who mine is. Yeah. Yes. Worst person. Is it Walker? Is it Vice Principal Donnelly? Like, who Hold is... on real quick. Hold on real quick. Hold on. Hold on real quick. Real quick. Real quick, guys. Real quick. Yo. Yo. Who is this? What's up, bro? It's JD. William. Hey. JD! Hey. I want everybody to know right now we are recording the season four finale of The Wire here on The Way Down in the Whole podcast. And on this phone right now is JD Williams, Bodie. It was his last episode this time. We've been trying. I've been called a couple of times trying to get JD on. JD, first of all, I know you're busy. You're a very busy man, having opinions and doing your acting and then having a great career. But Bodie's death hit me hard, dog. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know that night. I, that night that I do it was on air. Like I hadn't told anybody just just because everybody was enjoying the show. But I knew I had to turn my phone off that night. I knew I had to turn it off that night. So, yeah, everybody was, like, running around the hood. Like, you know, an actual person had, you know, literally got killed. So I had to, you know, absorb that. But I, I appreciate it. That, that just speaks to the, that just a testament to, you know, how the, how the show was put together and, and, and the fact that, you know, people loved it and felt it so much. So I definitely appreciate that. And I, I, I couldn't say enough how much I appreciate that. So you played the character for so long, right? Just a couple of questions for you. I know you're busy. When you saw that Bodie was gonna die, were you surprised? No, I was. I mean, like, like I was good with it. Like, like I say, it's a couple of steps that went into that for me. First off, at heart, I'm a theater actor, and most theater actors, the main thing you want to do is you want your character to die. Those are the best scenes. People remember that the most. You know what I'm saying? You get to pull out all your chops and, and see really how far you did the character. So that's number one. I never take a character getting written off personally. I learned that from doing Oz. On Oz, you could have died at any moment. So <laughs> right. don't get, yeah, don't get too attached to your character. Don't get too attached to where you at. Just just live, just live your, your character and just do it. You know what I'm saying? And then third of all, like me personally, I don't know if it was just from the writing or the, just, you know, the way I, I was living the character. It was like, I could see it coming from a mile away. From like the first episode of that that fourth season, you know, when Slim Charles say we can't do this and Bodie getting frustrated, from there I could kind of see where it was going because I was like, all right, either they're going to have Bodie go here by the end of the season or he got to go. And they didn't tell me until like, I didn't find out until the episode before. So, mm. and, it, and it was really respectful how, how, how uh, David Simon did it and everything. Like, it was it was all, all hush-hush, top secret. I had, had my own secret pages. Him and the producers came to me, you know, separately and laid it out for me about what, what they were trying to do and and how epic it was going to be and everything. So it was great. I was prepared. And like I said, I don't have nothing but respect for, the you know, the whole process. You know, I didn't feel bad about it. So last question for you, because this, to me, I said a second ago, this is the most significant death in the history of the show to me. 
Thank you. I appreciate that because, you know, there's a lot of heavy heaviness in there, man. Yeah, it's the most significant death. Let's say that, so it's been, what, 15 years or something like that, 15? Right. Let's say Bodie would have lived. Mm-hmm. What do you think Bodie would be doing now? Well, right now, if, if Bodie had survived, I mean, I think at this age, you know, he was smartening up. So either some way, some way, shape, or form, he would have got out the game, maybe became some type of a, you know, activist in Baltimore or, mm. you know, something like that. I could have seen him, I could see him changing. I mean, and also, look, if we go off of the life of the actual, you know, Avon Bodie Barksdale, if we go off of his life, you know, you know, he went through a lot of transitions. He, he, he changed his life when he came out of prison. He wrote a couple books, you know, and did a lot of other things. So I can see Bodie, you know, had have, have grown from, from where he was had he lived. But, you know, obviously, <laughs> it ain't go that way. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely see him transitioning into something something greater. Like, he already wanted that for himself, but he just ain't making it. Right. All right, so when Saints and Sinners coming back? We just wrapped up the fifth season. Thank you for asking, my brother. I'm thinking probably... March, probably somewhere in March or April, it should be out. So, um, yeah, it's going to be crazy as hell again. <laughs> all the people, people that's loving it and that's keeping the show on, y'all definitely going to get more of what you want. They made it the number one show on the network, four years and running. And, you know, it's really a testament to the fans because they really the ones that's, that's really pushing the show because they loving this craziness. It's the same. This is going to be the craziest year yet, probably. I'm pretty sure. If you want to see Bodie and Poot back together... <laughs> On the same screen, you have to watch Saints and Sinners on Bounce TV. I watch it. I think it's amazing. JD, bro, I'm glad I was. I called you a couple of times. I just did not want to do this episode with such an epic death and not get your take on it, man. We appreciate what you guys did, and we appreciate the show. No, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, peace to Jamel, too. You, y'all keep doing y'all thing, man. I appreciate you. All right, peace. Uh, that was wonderful. Wonderful insight from J.D. Williams. Way to go right to the source, Van. And by the way, the, literally, we were about to end the podcast. Like, we had tried a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, we tried it, then it was like, ah, it's J.D. Williams. We can't end Williams. it. You can't right, end right. it. Yeah, we got to go. get his perspective for sure. So thank you, J.D. And uh, what he says is also in all the, the pieces. You had uh, already, it's actually exactly everything that you said earlier yeah, about Yeah, it. that's what yeah. he said, is that he was fine with, with being killed off and like the way that they handled it is just, yeah, I'm not surprised that he had to cut his phone off because he became a fan favorite uh, yeah, for a lot of people. Sure. So that doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. All right. For real, we're going to wrap it up now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait for a second. Before you go, we got Dominic West. Let's be healthy. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, you know what? Call Poot. I'm sure, you know, he's somewhere. Because uh, you already had JD somewhere, uh, hopefully not at the clinic. So. <laughs> right, right. No, but uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us. Really appreciate that perspective from J.D. Williams, who, of course, played Bodie. Sorry, this is the last time we'll see him on on screen here, but his memory on The Wire will live forever. So as I said, up next, we're going to have our season awards and discuss this entire season. We're sure you guys will enjoy that. So anyway, as always, boys and girls, keep watching The Wire and keep listening to us. We'll see y'all next time. (laughs) 